We're glad to be gathered together to worship God, to worship the one who we love, to worship the one who, for reasons that I don't understand, loves us. David told us in Psalm 63, he said, Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it longs for you in a land that is dry and thirsty and where there is no water. So I go into the sanctuary so that I may see your power and your glory. My question for you this morning is, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus in the same way that David says, I love the Lord? Does your soul long for Him? Do you thirst for Him? Do you seek Him? Do you love Jesus? I listened to a question from a fairly well-known preacher this week, and he asked this question. He said, he said, if you could go to heaven, if, if you could go to the place where, where you, you would never have to worry about, about eternal damnation ever again in your life, and you could go to the place where, where, where there is no more pain, and there is no more suffering, and there is no more coronavirus, and, and there is no more cancer, you could go to a place that was filled with pleasure. And the pleasures of this life from, from, from the, the places that we go or the things that we experience, that, that they, would, they would all be there multiplied many times over. And you would be together with your brothers and your sisters and, 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 there, and there would be a, a, a great reunion of, of people that, that you have said goodbye to. If you could go to that place, but Jesus wasn't there, would you be satisfied? I think that's a, I think that's a pretty rough question. I think that's a question that makes us take a step back where, where there's a part of me that says, well, well I mean, do you love Jesus? I mean, I'm here on Sunday morning, right? I mean, of course I love Jesus. What kind of a monster is going to say you don't love Jesus? But, but then I listen to things like that, and I think about things like that, and the goals of my life, and the pursuit of my life, even the eternal pursuit of my life. And, and, and I, I just have to ask myself, do I love Jesus? Do I long for Him? Do I thirst for Him? Do I seek Him? Last Sunday, we, we spent our time talking about the relentless love of God. But this morning, I want us to ask the question, but do we love Him? Does His love for us make any difference in our lives? Is it more than just a, 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 a fact that, 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 that we can quote or that we can sing about? Do we really love Him? So many times before, we've, we've talked about presentations of, of heaven 
you, 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 listen, go down to Walmart and buy one of these books about I died and I went to heaven. Uh, actually, try to get one for free. They're not worth anything, okay? But, but you've seen all of these books, and, and they talk about those places where there is no pain and there is no crying and there's, and there's all this pleasure and there's this great reunion. But I'm just telling you, in book after book after book that's selling for millions and millions of dollars in our culture and our society, you pick them up and I'm going to tell you when you read about people going to heaven, there's somebody who's missing from almost every single one of them. That's Jesus. It is a heaven where Jesus is not present. Jesus is, is, not, is not the central figure in that place. The worship and the praise of Him does not stand as paramount in that place. It's not just in books, it's in theater, it, 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 it's, in, it's, in, it's in all sorts of man-made representations of what we think heaven is going to be like. Jesus isn't there. And while we can talk about those things and talk about a, a theology of heaven that's not based in the Bible... I want us to understand that when we see those things, it, it does more than just tell us that we don't understand what heaven is, but it might tell us that it might tell us that our understanding of who Jesus is is insufficient in our minds. Do you love Jesus? Over and over in the Bible, we have admonition to love the Lord, to love God, to love Jesus. For the sake of time, I, I, I will not spend a great deal of time proving to you that that all means the very same thing. And Jesus says, listen, you want to see the Father? Look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't love the Father and not love Jesus. You don't love Jesus and not love the Father. You may say you do, but you really don't. Jesus is God. He is that divine being. And so, and so when we see these admonitions, they ought to strike at the core of, of our worship of deity itself. Jesus would say in Matthew 22 and verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. You want to just start where everything else flows from? You want, to, you want to talk about service? You want to talk about doctrine? You want to talk about transformation? You want to talk about family? You want to talk about peace or grace or hope or our treasures? I'm just telling you, none of that means anything if you don't get this. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and all of thy soul and all of thy mind. Paul would say it like this in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared, watch this, for those that love Him. We want to talk about heaven. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Heaven is a place for people that love the Lord. For some reason, we, we, we have a lot of talk in our, in our culture and in our world. Everybody talks about heaven, but they don't all talk about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, if you go to heaven and you don't love Jesus, you're not going to like it. Heaven is a place for those who love the Lord. 
James said in James 1 and verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And we could go all day long, couldn't we? Couldn't we go all, I mean, I mean, verse after verse, I am severely, I know y'all don't want me preaching for five hours today, so I'm not going to do it, but I'm telling you it was hard to narrow it down because the Bible just says this over and over, not, not just that God loves us, but that we ought to love God. Do you love Jesus? I'm not, I'm not asking if your mama loves Jesus. I'm not asking if your daddy loves Jesus or if your grandma loves Jesus or if you're part of a church that loves Jesus. I'm asking you, do you love Jesus? Do you long for Him? Do you thirst for Him? Is there anything in your life that, 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 that you could quantify as, I seek Him? Could you be given everything in this world and, and everything that, 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 that you think is as a blessing of heaven, but if heaven is a place without Jesus, could you be satisfied there? Do you love Jesus? I, I want us to understand that, that love, love is more than simple obedience. Right? Love, love is more than just a verb. Sometimes, especially when we talk about marriage and love and the love that God's intended in marriage, we, we'll make this point, right? Love is a verb, right? Love is something that you do. And, and that's, a, that's a true statement. And we'll, we'll look at 1 Corinthians 13. We'll actually turn there in, in just a moment. But, but love is more than that. Love is more than something that we do. I know it's not less than that, but it's more than that. Jesus would tell us in Matthew 20 and verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He says, I want to think about the love that you have. The love that you have for your parents the love that you have for your children. And I'm going to say that the love you have for me ought to exceed that love. Now here's what I'm going to say. That when Jesus is talking about the love that you have for your children, is He talking about a love that is defined simply but through obedience? Is He? Brian, do you obey your children? Shake your head. I mean, if anybody shake their head? No, no. Do you love your children? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that I, that, that, that I look at them as this, this sense of authority and, and I do what they tell me to do, therefore I love them. What? That, that would be messed up, right? That's not what he's saying. He's talking about, he's talking about this love that, that's not simply based on obedience. He's talking about an affection that we have. It's his parallel. I want you to think about your father, your mother, your children. He's talking about having that sense of, of affection, that, that, that feeling that these are precious people to me. 
These are people that, 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 that I have an emotional attachment to. These are people that, that, that I treasure them in my heart. He says, I want you to love me that way. I want you to love me even more than that way. See, love is not simply obedience. Now, of course, of course, love is not less than obedience. I get that. We, 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 listen, our sermon last Sunday, we ended, with, we, we, we ended with John 14, right? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He will keep my commandments. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with them. Of, of all people, I, I think that we might be susceptible as a people. We might be susceptible to equating love to obedience. Why is that? Well, it's because, rightfully so, we have been on the front lines. And we will continue to be on the front lines to understand that love, love without obedience is nothing. Faith without works is dead. Quit talking so much about it and actually show me the proof of it. And we have to preach that to the world and to ourselves in so many different ways. But what we see here is that love and obedience, they're not synonyms for each other. I don't say, well, well, I, I've done what he told me to do, therefore I love him. No, he's saying that obedience is the result of love. Obedience is the result of love. I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of people who obey a lot of folks for a whole lot less than love. Is that true? A lot of you obey a lot of, a lot of laws. You, you, you submit to a lot of different people. And it has zero to do with the fact that I just love them and long for them and want to be with them. But you still obey, right? But if you truly love, then you will obey. Love is more than obedience. Turn over to the great love chapter of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we'll just read the first few verses, verses 1 through 3. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. What is he saying? You can do all of these amazing things, and if you can and will do those things, what wonderful expositions of faith itself. But you could do all these things and not have love. You could be motivated you could be motivated by far less than love. Paul would write about his own life in Philippians chapter 3. You, you know these words where he speaks of his former life of concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is the law, blameless. What is he saying? I did everything. I did what God told me to do. But you slide on down and see how he talks about See how he talks about doing everything that he was supposed to do? He says, he says in verse 8, And I count them as rubbish. 
See, it's, it's, I've given away every dime I have. Okay, but if you don't have love and you're only doing that, so somebody will say, well, look at what so-and-so's doing. What a waste. Man, I died for my faith. I went and I was burned at a stake for my faith. Okay, but if you don't have love, you just wasted your life. Love is not less than obedience, but it is so, so much more. John would put it like this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. For this, is lo- for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Right? He's talking about being born again in, in the context there. Verse 3, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and that His commandments are not burdensome. It speaks to the relationship that we have with with Christ, with God. Obedience, yes. But that I desire to be obedient. I desire to honor Him. I desire to be with Him. I desire to come to Him on His terms. And that His commandments are not burdensome. I guess we got to do it again. guess we got to go today. I mean, I guess we got to be the bigger man. Guess we got to do this. Guess, I mean, it's like we're dragging around this, this weight behind us. Anybody ever experienced that? Anybody? Shake your head up and down. Okay, I know that you have because I have. And that's where we must fall in love with the Lord. Because when you love someone, it's not a burden. It's not a burden. Sometimes I, I, I talk to my wife, and she'll say, would you, would, you, would you do me a really big favor? And she's being sweet, trying to not, she's not going to tell me to do anything. But would you do me a really big favor? And I'll say, don't, don't ask me that. It, it's not an inconvenience. That doesn't mean that everything she wants me to do is easy. But I'm not just like, well, I guess, because I've got to do this. Otherwise, she's going to be mad at me. And I love is that love? I'm not saying, I'm not saying I've never been there, okay? I'm saying that when I've been there, I wasn't very loving. Same thing with God. We come, we come to God and we obey His commandments, but they're not a burdensome for us. Why? Why would we say these things are not a burden? To, have, to, to give sacrificially. To, to be the sacrifice in our relationships. To, to open up God's Word with people, to study and, and to grow in our faith. How, how are those things not burdensome? I'm just going to tell you, that, that that's the reason people don't do those things, because they are a burden to them, right? That's the reason people don't grow in Christ, because it is a burden to grow. Reason Five months. I can say coronavirus, but come on, I could have I gone. All right, I could have worked out. It's a burden. That's why I didn't do it. But when those things become not a burden, but a joy, it's about the way that we're seeing those things in our life. For whatever is born of God becomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. It is our faith. We enter into this relationship understanding something different. Okay, enough. I know, okay, so love is not just obedience, but what? It's hard to quantify it, isn't it? Isn't it? 
Hard to quantify it. I mean, Dale, do you love Beverly? Right? Yeah, of course, of course you do. Could you come up here and tell us what that means? He's hoping I'm not being serious right now. Right? He's like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. He's just not even here. Right? It's like, I don't question the fact that Dale loves Beverly, but I do question whether or not he's going to be real good at putting that into words. Right? Right? And Don's sitting there saying, I'm glad he didn't call me. Right? I mean, <laughs> this is, we, we understand this. I know what love is, but, but how, how do I describe it? How do, how do I judge myself by it? How do I, I mean, when I say, do you love Jesus? I mean, how do I answer that question to say, you know what? I, I think I do love Jesus. What is love? The idea, the idea that you're satisfied with that person and that you will be satisfied with nothing less. Isn't that what we began with in, there in Psalm 63? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. I live in this world that's dry and thirsty and, and devoid of Christ. Yet I long for Him. And I will accept no other replacement. Nothing takes His place. Nobody's going to come in and take the place of my wife. It wouldn't work. Why? Because I love her. I love the Lord to, to, be, to be satisfied. No one else can satisfy me. No one else. I, I, day of my life. Okay? I joke about this a lot, but the problem life was the day I cut that dumb finger off. And the surgeries and things like that, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm bleeding all over the place in the, in the emergency room, and I remember two things on that day. I remember pain, okay? Hurt. Hurt really bad. And I remember thinking, where is Shelly at? Where's she at? I want her in here. I not because I think she can help me at all with the pain, right? I don't even know what I wanted to do. I actually knew where she was. But I remember sitting in that ER thinking, I just want her to be here. You, you, you ever had those moments with people that you love? I just want them to be here. Because if they're here, I could die and it'd be okay. Right? Do we feel that way about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? He is the one who satisfies me. Do I thirst for Him? Do I long for Him? Do I desire? Do I desire to, to just look at Him? The psalmist said in Psalm 27, he said, There is one thing that I have desired of the Lord that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. I just want to gaze upon Him. If you don't understand what that means, 
If you think, well, that, you know, I mean, that's kind of flowery, fluffy, gook, whatever. I'm telling you, if you don't understand what that means, you're struggling with whether or not you really love the Lord. Do you take time just to gaze at Him? I want to be with this person. I want to please this person. I want to share this person. I just find myself just looking at them. You ever find yourself just looking at your children? You ever do that? Your grandchildren, whenever they come to visit? Sometimes we're sitting there and we're doing a whole lot of nothing and I'll just, I'll just look at my kids. They hate it. Okay? And I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm just, I'm just watching them. Right? And then they give me this, this look back like, what are you looking at me for? Right? We should quit looking at me. Right? This is creepy. Right? I don't care. I don't care if they think it's creepy. I don't care if it makes them uncomfortable. I love them so much. I just like to watch them. I just want to see them. I just just want us to be in the same room together. Do do we feel that way about Jesus? Because that's what it means to love. That's That's what the psalmist is trying to express over and over One of these great needs that we have simply to to be still and to know that He is God and just put everything else out of our mind and say, I just want to behold Him. I don't want to think of coronavirus, NF, baseball, local politics, elections. I don't want to think about any of that. I just want to think about my God. I just want to think about Jesus. I'm not saying that has to occupy every moment of every day, but I'm telling me, I'm telling you, it, 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 it ought to occupy the mind of people that love Jesus. When was the last time that we just stood in awe? Psalm 34 and verse 8. I might say, if you want to know what it means to love, you go and read the Psalms. Go and read the Psalms. Psalm 34 and verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who trusts in Him. It's about, it is about an experience. So many times when we talk about our religion not being subjective and not being about simply an emotional experience, I get it. I've preached it. I'll continue to preach it. But if our, if our faith and our religion simply becomes a cold academic exercise, then we have no religion at all. Do we love the one who loved us? Taste and see. I don't know what else to tell you. I said last week about... Uh, about uh, Mr. Paul and Miss Hazel being married for 66 years. How do you quantify that? You don't, do you? You don't quantify that beyond to say it's, a, it's about a lifetime of being there and loving and supporting. But you, you don't quantify it easily. But oh, 
it is so true and it is so rich. If you don't know what it means to love Jesus, I'm simply going to ask you, I'm going to plead with you. Seek him out. Trust in him. Taste and see. And you will find that he is good. You might ask the question, okay, I want to have that. Don't you want to have that? Don't you want to have that? I, come on. I'm, I got no time for this cold, for this cold, empty, empty religion. Got no time for it. Probably wasted too much time with it, to be quite honest. But, but how do I get it? How do I get it? Because, you know, I'm not very good at this whole love thing. Anybody ever relate to that? Right? Your spouse is looking at you right now. You're looking at the floor. I'm just not very good at this. How do I fall in love with Jesus? How do, I, how, how do we stir this up in our lives? Sometimes people will come in for, for marriage counseling and they've, quote unquote, fallen out of love with each other. And it, that usually means that they've quit trying, okay? That's usually what, what that means. But, but they're saying, I just, I just don't feel the spark that I used to feel. And one of the best things that you would tell them is, well, you just need to spend some more time together. I mean, you, you, you need to be pursuing your wife. You need to be pursuing your husband and do the things that you did when you fell in love for the first time. You remember those things that came so natural when you were dating? But now they, it, it's, they don't just happen naturally. Everybody remember that? So i got to be purposeful i got to be purposeful about those things because I want my spouse to see those things and, and I want to I rekindle those fires. And that almost always works unless there's one spouse that just refuses to try. I mean, sometimes that happens, right? I mean, well, I'll do, I mean, I'll do anything to save our marriage. No, I won't do that. I think there's meatloaf coming in there, right? I mean, that's, that's how a lot of people are approaching their, their marriage counseling. I'm not going to do that. Well, then he or she is not going to have any indication that you actually love them and they're going to struggle to love you. I'm just telling you that's how that works. But here's the thing about God. God's love is relentless. It's relentless. I love what Santiago said when he, when he began our communion thoughts and paraphrase. I mean, the fact that God loves us, there can be no doubt of that. I mean, that, that yeah. That's it. God never says, well, I'm not going to do anything until, until they act like a little bit better person. Does God do that? No. God goes to the cross. God pursues and pursues and pursues and pursues and pursues. And if I'm ready to see it, it is always there. If I've walked with him for a lifetime, it will be there. If I've spit in his face every day of my life, his love is still there. It's still extending an invitation to us. So I would say to us the same thing that I would say to a couple who was struggling to love each other. I would simply say, you need to be with Jesus. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. That's why we started last week to talk about God's relentless love. Because if you don't get God's relentless love, you're going to struggle with loving him. If you think that God, if you think that Jesus is just an idea or just a subject or not, 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 a, not a real being with real emotions, you're going to struggle to love him. 
If you think that Christianity is this academic exercise, you're going to struggle with truly loving. You've got to spend time together. Our love of Jesus will flow out of His love for us. When I simply take that moment to sit back and to say, what has He done for me? Why has He done this? What does He continue to do for me? We love Him because He first loved us. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 We'll begin at about verse 40. It's, it's what we know as the, as the parable of two debtors. And we'll, we'll conclude our time this morning here making this point. Luke chapter 7 and verse 40. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. If I have this idea that I'm a good person and Jesus came onto the scene just to kind of make me a better daddy and a better husband make me a better employee and a better citizen of this nation. I'm good and he made me better. You're not going to love him much. But if I take a moment to do something incredibly uncomfortable, and that is to see my own sin, to see what I deserve because of my own sin, to see how unlovable I am, and then to know that he loved me anyways, and that He died for me, and that He sacrifices for me? Why did she come in and, and, and wet His feet and wash, kiss His feet and anoint His head with oil? Oh, she knew. She knew what He had done for her. And so He said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with Him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You will leave here today. May you leave here in peace. 
Not because all your problems are going to go away, because they're not. Not because I got a cure or a vaccine to an illness, because I don't. But I may leave here today with peace in my heart, a peace that passes all human understanding. Because I have seen the love that Christ has for me. And I love Him. And I long for Him. And I thirst for Him. And I seek Him with all of my heart so that one day we may be together. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Do you love Jesus? You answer that question through your obedience. You answer that question through your heart. When those things come together, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Will you come to Him to be baptized, to repent of sin, to throw your burdens upon Him in ways you would throw them upon no man? Come and show the love of Jesus as we stand and as we sing.